Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Join us today as Pastor Rob continues in the series in the book of John, chapter 7. Fathers, we get into your word. We thank you that it's not just letters written on a page, God, but that it was inspired by you. And Father, we pray that the Spirit would come and make the words that are written on this page come to life. Father, through the words I say and through the hearing, God. Father, that you have an ability to touch each person and have them ministered to in a special way. So, Father, we pray for the rhema of the word of God. We pray for an anointing today. Lord, we don't want to just leave with more knowledge or education. But, God, we desire that you would help to transform us to be more like you. God, we, help, we pray and ask that you would help us to draw closer to you. That today, through this time in the word, through our time in worship, that we, we will have drawn one step closer to you. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brain, am I forgetting anything? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, we've got, hopefully you're enjoying the time fellowship and the snacks in the, in the morning. If you want to be part of that, um, we have a sign-up sheet right by the snack table. You just can sign up for once a month, once every six weeks, once a year. But put your name on that little sheet. That would be great. And uh, we'll help you, you know, know how to do that. Come and bring the snack. But that's, that's been a great time to, to sit. And the kids really like it. The, the teachers don't. The teachers, the teachers don't. But, but the kids, no, we, we really enjoy that time. So it's a great, great time fellowship. And if you didn't know it was there, make sure you come a little bit early next week. And so you can have some fellowship and some, some fresh baked snacks and goodies and things. All right, John chapter 7. My next glasses have to have bifocals in them. Isn't that horrible? Who says amen to that? All right. I look down and it's blurry now. Okay, John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Now I'm going to stop right there. After these things, we have to catch up a little bit to what was happening in John chapter 6, especially the end. The end of John chapter 6, Jesus is having a really difficult debate, not a debate, but a discussion with the disciples. And the discussion is so heavy, so deep, that it causes a lot of the people who are following Jesus to stop following him and go back. He's going through this discourse of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and it was difficult for them to understand they had been following Jesus they were even his disciples and a disciple is just another word for a learner so they were learning of Jesus but they weren't the 12 disciples okay there was a difference and some of them went wait a second this teaching is too much we don't understand it and so many of them stopped following Jesus and this is where where um Jesus was was talking to his disciples and he says, you know, but do you want to go away also? And Simon answers that famous thing that many of us have heard. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the disciples are, are strong and strengthened in this moment that the 12 disciples, but many of the other people following Jesus, the crowd, if you will, they they stopped. And there's a difference of those that are really close followers of Jesus and those who kind of sit on the fringe. They're interested. They come. They listen. But when, when they, the teaching maybe gets too strong, they begin to fall away. We have the same thing today. We have people attending church and who are still, you know, kind of on the fringes. And it, the, the problem comes when the word becomes too strong. They say, ooh, that, I don't know if that's what I really want to hear. I don't know if that's what I want to do. 
But the truth is, is these are the words of God. And these are the things that we need to push into because we want to spend our eternity with Jesus. So after these things is what he's talking about. He walked in Galilee for he did not want to go to Judea to Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. All right. So one thing you got to you, we, we have to know when we're reading the Bible, when you see the word Jews, it doesn't mean the whole necessarily Jewish people because pretty much everybody was Jewish. So when you see that and you go, was that everyone or not? Often it's actually talking about the Jewish leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the group of Jewish leaders, because Jesus himself and all the disciples were Jewish. Not everybody wanted to kill Jesus, but there was a group, the leaders especially, that wanted to kill him. And so just kind of know that that's not generic for everybody, but it's more specific most of the time to the Jewish leaders. So they sought to kill him. And so the Jews' Feast of Tabernacle was at hand. Did I even forget? I know. Should have a couple notes, maybe. So the Jewish, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was um, one of the three feasts that the Jews would come up to Jerusalem to celebrate. And it was the last of the Jewish year. And it was to remember the, Jew, the Feast of Tabernacles, which we've seen on the calendar. And you've said, what is that? Suck it. Right? No, it's Sukkot. S-U-K-K-O-T. I've always said, what is that? Sukkot? Suck it? I don't know. But it's, it's called Sukkot. I don't know if you've ever seen that on any of your calendars. They actually are in some of our calendars. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was to remind the, the Jews that they were taken out of Egypt, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And during the time of wandering in the desert, they lived in little shelters. And God provided for them in the desert, in the time of wandering in the wilderness. And so every year, and, and practicing Jews still do this today. In fact, this is one of the, the celebrations they, they love because there's a lot of joy in this celebration. But in Jew, Jewish neighborhoods, if you ever had uh, any Jewish uh, friends or anything, they will build a little booth in their front yard to this day, and they'll actually go and they'll enjoy their meals in that. It's to remember that they dwelt in little dwellings, in booths, if you will. And they were just made of branches, bows, and, and, and they were celebrating it then, and they're still celebrating it now to remember that Jesus, that God provided for them and that they let, dwelt in the desert, living in tabernacles, and that, and the word, and so it's, it, it represents, you know, um, the dwelling in God's provision, but it also represented that God dwells among people. So this feast is really important, and we're going to see how it ties in uh, in just a few minutes. So it was a, an eight-day celebration. And this was probably the happiest of the celebrations, right? Comes right after Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which was not a happy celebration. And it goes from Yom Kippur just five days before to a celebration. And the other part of the celebration was not just God's provision, but it was they would celebrate the the ingathering of the fruits. Um, so they were set, the harvest of the fruits was done now. And so they rejoiced in all the provision that God had given them. Um, the, there was a celebration before, which was Pentecost, which they would celebrate the, the ingathering or the harvest of the wheat. But, but this is the biggest one. It's the last celebration of the year, the last festival of the year. And so it was really a big thing. Started off with a Sabbath and it ended with a Sabbath. And so there was two days that they couldn't do any work. And on the last day, the eighth day, was a huge celebration. And there was uh, sacrifices. 
um, drink offerings and things. And we'll get a little bit more to those. But they would, on the altar, they would have a burning sacrifice. But they'd also bring drink offerings of oil and wine. And they'd pour them out on the altar. And so it was really a lot of celebration and joy. And when you read about it in, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy both, you see those words come up talking about it. Rejoicing. Celebrating. So that's the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the Jews would come up from wherever they lived and celebrate this, and they would, they would often stay in Jerusalem for the whole week. So the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Now, I've said this a few times, but I'm going to say it again just so we understand. His brothers there are not his spiritual brothers. These are his flesh and blood brothers. Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. But after that, she had children. So if for anyone who has a difficulty with that, that's still the Catholic Church's teaching. That Mary stayed a virgin and there was no... It's very plain and simple here because we're going to find out these brothers don't even believe him. So they're not his disciples. So they say, depart from here, go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, you know, I wish we could hear tone in this, but I hear sarcasm from his brothers. I hear, I read this, they're telling him to go up and reveal himself. And I kind of hear this, go up to Jerusalem so they can know your stuff too. I, and this is just my, my wonder, but I think that maybe they've gotten a little bit of flack because the people, a lot of people are upset about Jesus and they know him and they know his family. See, Jesus for his 30 years came up to Jerusalem. They were known. They were Jews. They would come up and celebrate. So they were known in, in the area that they lived. They were known at other places. And it's quite possible that people are talking to his brothers going, what is it with your brother? Any of you have a brother like that? <laughs> what is it with you? You might be the brother. That might be you this morning. You know? And, and going, you know, he's just causing all this commotion and he's doing all these things. And so they might be going, my goodness, Jesus. And so I kind of hear this kind of chiding at him. They're not, they don't believe in him. He says, no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And so Jesus answers, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not sure what Jesus was thinking here, but this is the picture that I was getting as I was reading. The, his brothers might really feel like the world is beginning to hate them too. And Jesus goes, the world can't hate you. It really hates me. And it also doesn't hate them because they don't believe in Jesus. They don't understand this. But he's trying to say, no, yeah, the world does hate me. They don't hate you. And in a couple years, they're going to say, yeah, the world really did hate you, Jesus, didn't they? They crucified you. They can't hate us the way they hate you. Such a different, such a disparity. But you know when you've, you're under persecution, isn't it the worst? 
you know, in the moment when somebody's angry with you, there's, there's something really heavy about that. So that just might be all that's going on for them. They're angry and they, maybe they're getting persecuted for Jesus. And Jesus tries to let them know, no, my time's not come, but your time is already. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify of it that its works are evil. That's today in the church. Today in the church, the world hates us. The world hates us. They can't see the good that the body of Christ, that Christians do and have done. But they, they really hate us. And they want us to be quiet. And they don't want us to... They, the world, the people outside of the church, really don't think that they want anything to do with Christianity. They want us to be quiet. Um, I don't even know if they, they want us to live our lives just secretly in quiet. But that's the, probably at the most. Whatever you do, just keep it to yourself. That's why they're coming off with all these crazy laws and rules and coming against Christians, even for in the military, having a scripture verse on your own door. And people are getting in trouble for that. A little girl who was probably seven or eight years old who wanted to pray for her food at the school and she was told she couldn't pray by a teacher for her own food. What, what's going on? Well, the world is really beginning to, to hate us. And the Bible says that it would. And be of good cheer. It hated Jesus first. And so the, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I test, that I testify of it that its works are evil. And then Jesus says to his brothers, go up to the feasts. I am not yet going up to this feast. My time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee, Galilee, verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, but not openly. He went where, uh, as it were, he went in secret. So then we get, we, we get this next section. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to the feast to celebrate, but he goes up in secret. Why? They want to kill him. They're looking for a reason. And they're looking for uh, an excuse. They're looking for him to come. And the, the Jewish leaders, they're angry. Verse 11, it goes, says the Jews sought to him at the feast and they asked, where is he? I mean, they they're looking for him. They're not, you know, a lot of time when there's somebody who's kind of making problems, you just hope they don't show up. Right. You're thinking of your brother again. <laughs> you know, you just like, I just hope that they don't come and mess everything up. They're looking for him. Because they want to put an end to Jesus. They want to stop this because he's pulling people away. He's saying things to them that um, they believe are, are blasphemous. Okay, we'll, we're going to keep going. There was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some saying he is good. And others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. Boy, that sounds like today too. You know, Christians are good. No. They're, they're deceiving the people. You know, they're just telling lies and, and it's wrong. And there's a controversy in the world today, and, and we're seeing it in the United States. If you've been alive, you know, 40 years or more, even maybe 30, you're probably amazed and astounded, shocked at the change exactly at the it, what's what's happening christianity was very accepted it was because there was so so much good that came out of it and to have it so beaten down and and to feeling like wow are, people really think we're evil 
I mean, I've actually seen some of these and not personally. Well, I think I've heard it personally a couple times, too, that not just that you're wrong. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of people in my time and say, you know, you're wrong. Jesus isn't the only way. Now it's you're evil. Telling people these lies and causing these things, they're calling Christians evil. But there's there's others in this. Well, it's good. No, it's it's deception. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews, the religious leaders at the time. And that's what's happening today. I believe that Christianity is the silent majority. I believe most people in the United States line up with basic Christian Judeo-Christian values and morals. But we're all beginning to be quiet because of a few people yelling super loud. This is wrong. This is bad. And so for fear of the Jews, we remain quiet. But we can't remain quiet. We need to let our faith and our light shine into the darkness. And we need to keep doing the things that Christ calls us to do and to be. Jesus wants us to be a light in the darkness. He wants us to live out loud. We're not supposed to be belligerent. I'm not talking about being belligerent, but I'm talking about living for Christ, affecting the world that we live in. And I believe if we could do that, if we could all begin to do that again, the tides would change today. Today. So many call on the name of the Lord. So many do what they do because of their faith in God. We can't remain silent much longer because if we do, we'll have to remain silent for fear of not just persecution, but maybe prosecution, perhaps eventually even incarceration and maybe even death. And we think, well, not in this country. Well, it's happening in other countries. Why not? So so let's let's begin to pray for ourselves and others that we would no longer remain quiet because of fear of the Jews, the leaders, the people who are screaming. Verse 14 says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. So again, it's an eight day festival. So he waits a few days and he begins to go into the temple now and begins to teach. Now he knows what he's doing. So he, he wanted to wait for a few days and he has his reasons. The Jews marveled saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? Now, you know, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting little phrase. Really what they're saying is, how is he so learned? How does he understand the Torah, the Tanakh, which is the, the Torah, the, the, the prophets, the, the poetry, all the parts of the, of the Old Testament, as you were? Um, how can he do that? He was unstudied. Now, all the Jewish kids would learn about their faith for a number of years, but only the brightest and best would continue on and go under really good teaching. And they would be the ones then who would be teaching in the synagogue. But Jesus is like them without the teaching. He's got wisdom. He's got understanding. He's got power. And they say, how does this man know the letters having never studied? And Jesus says, my doctrine, my teaching is not mine, but his God who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So he's saying anyone who really wants God, who wants to know God's will, is going to know that I'm from God and what I'm saying is true. The same goes for us. As we want to know Christ, as we truly desire him, we'll begin to know the word and that it's true. 
But as we stay half in and half out in our approach to God and Christianity, it's even going to be confusing to us. We're not going to really know if it's right teaching. There's a time that has to come in our faith that we have to faiths that we have to step up and say, I want to know the truth. I want to know you. I want to serve you. And when we make those steps, the word of God becomes more alive and more real. And we say, this is the truth. But for us, for those of you or those out there who who are still hesitant to do that, there's going to always be questions. And we're going to say, I don't know if this is really the teaching of God or not. So he's telling us right now, those who will my will know whether or not it's true. Whether I speak on my own authority. Verse 18 says he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Now, pay attention to what Jesus is saying. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching the masses and he's not just hanging out with the disciples. I mean, he's hanging out with the people who don't like him and the religious leaders. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. I think he's talking about the religious leaders. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. Now, break that down. Okay, we do the English part here. You know, it's it's written in, in Greek. But he who seeks the glory of the one which is God. So let's put it like this. Jesus, who seeks the glory of God, who sent Jesus, is true. He's saying he himself is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Okay, so he's saying, I am true, and there's no unrighteousness in me. What? That's a heavy statement. Standing in front of all these people who want to kill him because he's a blasphemer. Who healed somebody on the Sabbath, and for that, he's a lawbreaker. He's unrighteous. Is now saying, I am true. There is no unrighteousness in me. Okay. What does he say about them? Did not Moses give you the law? Okay. Moses gave the Jews the law. And the Torah, he says, here's everything you need to do. And he's talking to the people and he says, yet none of you keeps the law. So you're the ones who received the law. You don't keep it, but I'm righteous. He's making friends quick. Goodness gracious. Goes up to the feast. He knows they want to lay hands on him. Not in a good way. They want to lay hands. They want to kill him. In the middle of the festival, in the middle of the feast, he goes and he begins to confront once again. Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered, verse 20, you have a demon. Now, right after this is who is seeking to kill you? I believe that they're saying um, you have a demon, not because he said you seek to kill me. I think he's saying you have a demon because he just says, I'm righteous and you're a lawbreaker. He says, you demoniac i think it's a heavy statement that he's that these people are there accusing him they're angry at him and then he continues on in his discourse he says i did one work and you all marvel did one work and that one work that he's talking about is the thing that that got them most up he healed on the sabbath isn't it crazy How could somebody or a group of people be so angry that somebody was healed on a holy day and you're not supposed to do work on that day? So it's it's evil. 
You know how? Because we get so set in our ways, we get so set in our understanding that we can't see the forest for the trees and our way becomes holy and we're not even open to the truth. We're not even open to what God might do. The other night we were playing some games with Pastor James from another church in a group and and it was the Bible version of uh, uh, Apples to Apples. Biblical, it's, it's a kind of a fun, fun game. And so you, they had a, a word that you put down and then you had to put a card on it that you thought signified that word. So the, the word that was thrown down, has anyone ever played apples to apples? It's a fun game. Put it down and the word was messy. And so everyone had cards and they had to put something down from their hand. Five different options of what they thought would be messy. And then somebody picks that says, oh, I think that's the right, you know, that, that sounds messy to me. So in my hand, you know, everyone put down all these cards and, and they're funny because one might say John the Baptist and another might say Rome and I mean, there's crazy cards. I put down the Holy Spirit, put down the Holy Spirit. And when they were reading off the list, they kind of chuckled and then they went, well, you know, the Holy Spirit can be kind of messy. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up. And is allowed to do what he wants to do in our midst. We're out of control and it gets weird. It gets messy. Why? Because we're not so dictated from what we think we have to be. We think we have to do. But we're open to what God wants to do in a situation. And this is what they weren't. They weren't open to anything. They weren't open to healing. Because it went against what they thought went against the law. And so Jesus is talking to them. Helping them to understand. He says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And they do. When a child is born, they circumcise him on the, on the eighth day. And that's actually when they give him the name. A, a Jewish child doesn't have their name, official name, until they're eight days old. And that's when they circumcise him. But if that day happens to be on the Sabbath, they go ahead and do it anyways. And, that, and it still goes today. That means that the doctor... Who is well, it's actually not a doctor? It's the it's the priest. It's the he will come to the house, which means he has to either walk or drive to do the circumcision on the Sabbath. That's okay for them. That's okay, but healing somebody isn't. How does that happen? The bigger question is how is that happening in my life? Because it might be. How's it happening in yours? Where have you become so legalistic, so drawn in on one thing or another that you're not open to what God is really trying to do and bring something new? If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Verse 24. Let's hear this, church. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. God help us to judge rightly, righteously, and not just on appearance and and not just a physical appearance, but what we see on the outside. God help us to really judge. Help us to see the heart like you see the heart. Help us to make these decisions based on you, righteousness. And so now he's he's gone through this and now they goes back to the people and now some of them from jerusalem said is this not he whom they seek to kill is this him but look he's speaking boldly and they say nothing to him do the rulers 
know indeed that this truly is the Christ. In a moment, we're going to see, and in fact, I'm going to skip down there and read verse 30 because it ties in here. Verse 30 says, therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So God is moving upon the hearts to not allow them to actually take him and, and lead him away to crucifixion or to kill him. And so by doing that, it's stirring the people to say, maybe he's telling the truth because they're not objecting. See, the Jewish people in, as a whole, they were waiting for Messiah to come. They were waiting for the prophet. They were waiting for the fulfillment of these things and for the, someone to come and rescue them. And so they were supposed to be on the lookout. But the, many of the leaders, they're so blind because of their, they've got this focus they can't see. So now some of the people are going, well, maybe this really is him. Verse 27 says, we know, but I don't know. We know where this man comes from. And when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So they're, they're talking themselves out of it. And Jesus said, he cries out, you both know me and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. He's making friends again. God? Jehovah? Yeshua? You don't know. They don't know him. They're followers of God. Of course they do. No, they don't. They don't know him. If they knew him, they would know Jesus. They're not recognizing him. They know of him. They read. They go to synagogue. They don't know God. Just like some in the church today. Some, they, they read the Bible and they know about Jesus. But the truth is they really don't know him. There's no fruit. Their lives hasn't been changed. They're the ones who are standing back here going, I'm just not sure. And they themselves might think that they know. They've, they've come to a, a, a place where they've made maybe a mental ascent saying, yeah, I think that's it. But they haven't given their lives completely over to it. They don't know God. If that's you, don't remain in that place. Step up and say, I want to know you. I want to follow you with everything I am. But I've, I'm going to have a lot of questions. But I'm going to come before the questions are answered. And then answer them for me. That's what we have to do. It's a faith step. Too many of us sit back going, I've just got too many questions. I can't do it. What about this? What about this? What about the starving people in Ethiopia? No. Answer the questions later. I'm going to step in. I'm going to step in. You don't know him, but I know him. For I am from him, and he sent me. And so they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. We already read that. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, is he going to do more signs than this? They're getting it, going, he's doing it. He's talking it. This is him. We're, we're still waiting for something else. This is him, guys. What are you waiting for? This is him, church. It's Jesus. I'm on a path to enlightenment. I'm looking for the truth. The truth is here. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that has the words of life. He's here today. Give him your life. Fully. Unreservedly. 
Because God is not dead. All around we're hearing that Christianity is bad. God is dead. It's the same as everything else. You hear so many lies. And the truth is Jesus is the only way. And wherever you're at today. God showed us here, I believe, in this church that that our job individually and corporately is to draw one step closer to Jesus and help everyone we come in contact with grow one step closer to Jesus. So wherever you're at today, it's God. Help me to come just a little bit closer. Help me to get deeper into you. Help me to to give up the things that are holding me back. And if it's you don't know Christ at all, it's I want to come closer. I want to come in. I want to know who you are. And stand up boldly and let his life come in and change our lives. You know, Jesus didn't hold any punches. Maybe that's been our issue is, is we've gotten soft in the church. Jesus is the only way. And he's got the answer of, of eternal life and he has the hope for us to live today too. He has the hope for, to live today. We sang a hymn in our, in our time last night. He says, strength for today and great hope for tomorrow. That's who Jesus is. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him deeper. You know what's amazing about Jesus in the Bible and his whole Christianity. I've heard it described of the Bible, but I believe it's all of Christianity. That it's, that it's shallow enough for the most inexperienced of swimmers to get into. But he's deep enough for the most avid and dedicated and professional of swimmers and divers. You know, it doesn't matter where you're at. Come to Jesus and he'll meet you right where you're at. Continue to press into him and he'll take you places in your life. Freedom to freedom, to hope that you never thought was possible. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you that we don't serve a dead religion. We don't serve a philosophy. We're not part of just a club or an organization. God, We are part of the body of Christ, the most powerful, loving, infinite in all creation. Who's above creation because you were not created, but you created all. God, you've called us to be your children. You've called us to be your own, Lord. And I thank you that we have that honor and that privilege. God, I pray that each and every one of us would. Open our eyes and our ears and let our heart, our spirit, open up to what you have for us. And you would draw each and every one of us closer to you today. God, you would give us courage to live for you. Take the next step in relationship with you. God, to say no to the things that are holding us back. God, we look to you to be the truth. To be life for us. Father, I pray for everyone in here that they would be impacted by you. We praise you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church or to listen to other sermons, visit our website at www.bigbearchristiancenter.org.